bring you greetings from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I am the voice of one in the wilderness of this world and life, crying, prepare you the way of the Lord, make every crooked path straight, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. In our broadcast last time, we looked at another fundamental uh, issue revolving around the truth about the gospel. In that we looked at the adoption, the issue of adoption and sonship of a Christian. In discussing the concept of biblical um, adoption and sonship, Paul used the Roman uh, legal framework for adoption to explain and impress upon us, uh, the Christians, the benefit of sonship or the privileges of sonship that we have in God. He noted, and uh, we expressed that the last time, that number one, we are sons of God. Male or female, we are sons of God. And of all the rights of a son, similar to uh, the Roman adoption, where the adult was adopted into sonship, uh, whether he was a slave, a priory, or whatever, and whatever he was in the past was completely forgotten if he didn't exist as far as Roman law was concerned uh, in the past, he, he no longer existed. He now had a new beginning, a new life, and he was, he, he was considered a son in every respect of that word and every meaning of it. Secondly, we, we, we noted also that as sons of God, therefore, having been born again of God, we have all the rights of inheritance, all the rights and privileges of being a son, just as the Lord Jesus Christ is, just as the Lord Jesus Christ himself rather has as a son of God. The only difference, of course, is that he, whilst he has a double portion of uh, the inheritance of his father, we have just one portion each. Every single individual, therefore, has one portion. We explained that um, under Jewish uh, tradition, when a man had sons, if he had, say, four sons, he would share, share his property into, um, say, five, he would share his property into five places and give a double portion to the firstborn. And then the other three will share, will have one portion each of that. Now, thirdly, we, we, we noted that we are not therefore to act as fearful slaves. Rather, we should know that we are to henceforth engage in a vital and vibrant relationship with God with our father, so that we are no longer cringing or cringing slaves who are afraid, frightened to, to go to God. We are now sons. Before now, we were alienated from God. We were far away from God. We were afraid of God. We didn't want to go near him. But now that we are born again, the, the, that issue of that fear leaves. Now we have reverential uh, um, uh, regard for God and we can go to him as a father and have that relationship. And fourthly, we noted that in the, developing that relationship, therefore, it is a very special relationship between us and God. Each individual has rights and access to God on his or her own. And at the end of the day, it all comes down to how you handle that relationship. There's, there is, there's no, and I think I explained that, that there's no difference between, in that relationship between one who is a pastor and one who is a congregant. What is important is that we are all children of God, we are all sons of God, and you have to now develop that personal relationship between you and God, and that is what God was trying to uh, uh, put in place for you and I, that we have this special relationship with him and that we should engage with him 
in that in that in that regard, which is why the Lord Jesus taught us how to pray. Let's pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We worship you, we honor you, we adore you, we magnify you, and so on and so forth. But that He's a Father, and we must we, we should be able to relate with Him as such as we build on this uh, uh, vital and vibrant relationship with the Lord. And finally, we noted that because we are sons, we are royalty, as it were. There are certain things that are expected of us as sons of God. We are expected to live a holy life because God is holy. It is expected that humility will be the watchword of our lives because God abhors proud or, or, or uh, pride in a man. Thirdly, charity, that is unconditional love towards all men, must be there because God himself is love. And so everything that our father is, that is uh, possible on, uh, as a human being, we must be able to express. And finally, we must be men and women of integrity. It must, it must, that we must be wholesome in everything that we do. There must be balance in all that we do. Praise the Lord. Now, in our broadcast, we want to take off from where we stopped uh, the last time. Uh, uh, and, and speaking of relationship with, uh, with our Father in heaven, uh, we, we looked at our script from our scripture text in the last time was Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. Uh, we, there was something that was mentioned in the text that we did not elaborate on because we want to elaborate on it from this particular broadcast. So let me read Romans chapter eight from verse 14 through to verse 18. Romans chapter 8 from verse 14 through to verse 18. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us. Now, let me concentrate on verses 17 and 18 as I read it again and now emphasize one or two things that we want to uh, begin to discuss here. Uh, verse 20 says again, says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Now note this is, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I, rem I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So what is, what is being said here is that we are heirs with God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. So our inheritance in God comes with our suffering with Christ. Our being glorified with Christ is predicated on our suffering with him. And then it, it, it gives us uh, so, so, some, somewhat of, of a, a, a cushion effect in verse 18 when it says that there can be, there is no comparison of the glory that is to be revealed with the suffering that we are going to go through here on the earth. And so he says to us that regardless of whatever suffering we are talking about here, 
you cannot compare it to the to the to the to the to the weight of the glory that is to be revealed in eternity. So obviously some questions begin to arise in one's mind on hearing about the matter of suffering, which incidentally is a subject we want to discuss in this broadcast. And possibly we may have to discuss a little further on it in the next broadcast because it's not possible to complete all within the space of time that we have. Now, one question is, uh, why, why should a Christian suffer at all when he is um, a, a son of God just coming out of bondage? Especially as many of the messages today suggest that suffering is the result of sin. Why? Why should a Christian suffer? A Christian is not supposed to suffer. That is what, that's what people will say. And of course, we have messages that begin to tell us all, uh, to, to the contrary, that Christians don't suffer. And of course, another question would be, should a Christian suffer? Should a Christian suffer? Especially with all the messages of uh, success, greatness, becoming something, uh, 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 having wealth, uh, being known, having houses, and so on. So all these messages are renting the air. We have to ask that question. And the, 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 the answer is in the scriptures. I, I want to quickly point out that in John chapter 9, there was a, a particular situation that occurred. And let's just look at the answer. I'll just look at three verses there. John chapter 9, verse 1 to 3. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his, or his parents, that he was born blind? They saw a man born blind, and they were wondering. Because the notion is that these are the, the consequence of sin. So he was asking, what was, what, what was the crime of this fellow? He, he was born blind. Did he sin? What of his parents? Was it, was it, or is it the sin of the parents that is visited upon the, the, the son? In verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. So in this particular instance, the Lord was saying clearly and categorically that sin was not in that the sins, personal sins of the man or his parents was not involved. Of course, we know that the kind of deformities that we have in the world today is the result of sin from the time of Adam. That's, uh, that's, that's a no-brainer there. However, when it comes to certain things, your, your personal sin is not involved. And we, we, we're going to elaborate on that uh, as we go along because, you know, it, 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 there, there are some things that we have to make very, very clear concerning this question of uh, should, should, why, why should a Christian suffer? In fact, what, what, what is the essence of it? What, what it does, is God, is, is God a, a sadist? Does he want to see Christians suffering and then derive pleasure from that? If we are going to be able to answer that question, we have to start by answering one principal question. What is suffering? And we are going to answer that question from the perspective of a Christian because there's a suffering that is Christian and there's suffering that has no place in Christianity. From a Christian perspective, suffering is not punishment for sin or some wrong. That's not as you as long as you have been born again, you are not suffering because of sin or some wrong. If you're born again when you commit it, when, when you when you sin or you've done something wrong, the Holy Spirit would trigger in you the the the, the remorse, uh the, the guilt of, of sin and 
will get you to quickly repent of sin and then you can uh, uh, move away from it by repenting and then you move away from committing that sin again and then you move on. So suffering from that we want to discuss here is not the result of punishment for sin. Secondly, it is not retribution for something that you did before you were born again. No, it's, it's, just, it's, not, it's not retribution. It's, it's not as if God is saying, yes, now that you have come, the punishment that I didn't give you uh, when you were sinning before, I now want to visit on you. No, that's not, that's not the essence. That's not what we're discussing here. It, it is possible that if a person had sinned in time past and had now been born again and he had the ability to um, make good on the wrong that he had done, which is what we call restitution, that he would do it. I think there's this, the story in uh, Luke chapter 19 of Zacchaeus after having come to the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, was, he welcomed the Lord into his home. And when, when the Lord came and people were wondering, why is the Lord eating with Zacchaeus? Does he not know that he's a, he's a, he's a terrible sinner? Zacchaeus came and said, all that I have, all that I have taken from people, I'm going to give back. I think, uh, is it five or six fold or is it double fold or something? That he was going to give back more than he took from them. And the Lord declared and said, this day salvation has come into this home because his penitent heart had told him to make good on what he had done. If, for example, you, you stole somebody's money and then you had become born again. And now that you are born again, you still have. Uh, that money or some of the money or whatever and, and your heart tells you that you need to do, you need to make good on this. The Spirit of God in you says you have to make good on this. You take the money and you return it. That's not, that, that, there is no punishment on, on that. You just have to do restitution. However, we must understand from Hebrews chapters 8, 10 to 12 and 10, 16 to 17 that God made it absolutely clear. I'm just going to read um, Hebrews 10, uh, 8 rather, 10 to 12. It says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, quoting the Old Testament, that is, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and, and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their uh, unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. The same thing is repeated in uh, John in, in Hebrews chapter 10. It says, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them in their minds. I will write them. Then he adds. Their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. God does not take account of sin after we have repented. The sin was wiped away, forgotten, forgiven, and forgotten. He doesn't bring it up again. He doesn't bring it up and hold a petty charge against us. No. Once, once we are forgiven, we are forgiven. The sin is forgotten. So what is suffering from the pastor of the Christian? It is the affliction and pain arising from our identification with Christ. It is important to note that, yes, it is affliction. Yes, it is pain. Yes, it is suffering in every sense. But it is something that has arisen because we have identified with Christ. When we are born again, we are baptized into the body of Christ. 
we are identified. Baptism is a mark, a form of identification with Christ. We are identified with Christ. And because of our identification with Christ, our identity in Christ, we go through these afflictions, these pains, and so on and so forth. And some of these afflictions and pain include physical bodily harm that people inflict on us because we are Christ's, because we identify with Christ. It could also include the loss of property and even relationships with friends and family because we are Christ's. Some friends would, would, make, make, would, would deride us. Some would not want to have anything to do with us. Sometimes family members just avoid us completely and say, these guys have gone crazy. They've gone bonkers. They are fanatical and so on and so forth. It could also in, in, involve deprivation of certain things, possessions that we have or certain benefits that we might be entitled to just because we belong to Christ. Sometimes we are compelled to do certain things or otherwise we'll be, we'll be deprived of some privileges. For example, I've heard of situations where some bosses would insist on sleeping uh, sexually, of course, with uh, 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 their employees. Otherwise, they'll be sacked from work. But if you are a, if you're a Christian, and that because and, and they say because so you say you're a Christian, okay. Well, if you don't want this, then we will sack you. And we've found situations where certain people succumb to such, which is not supposed to be. So we're talking of deprivation. We're talking of bodily, physical bodily harm. We're talking of loss of property, loss of relationship and friendship or, or family, and so on and so forth. Now the Bible teaches several that we are to expect such sufferings. I mean. It, it's so it's so clear from the scriptures that such things would happen in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, verse 21 and 22. Acts 14, verse 21 and 22. And when they had preached, here they refers to Barnabas and, 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 and Paul, uh, who had gone on their first missionary journey. Says, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. We must through many tribulations, many, not a few, many tribulations enter into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the path to the kingdom of God is strewn with tribulations of all sorts. And the Bible tells us that we must go through those things. So it is expected that we will go through certain sufferings because we are children of God, because we are now born again. There are challenges of life. There are things that as a Christian, you can no longer do. And these things become challenges unto us. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, the Bible tells us that in addition to that it is a privilege for us to believe, but more than that, also to suffer. Let me read Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. It says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It has been given, it is expected that we are not only believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we must be ready, we must be willing to suffer also for Christ. That is a privilege to suffer for Christ. It is, it is expected of us. In 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4, 
verse 12 to 19. The Bible even goes further to tell us that suffering for a, a for, for the cause of Christ or for the sake of Christ is actually, can be the will of God. Let me read it from verse 12. First Peter chapter 4 says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Don't think as if, oh, oh, what's wrong? What's going on? Why am I going through this? Is it because of sin? I thought God had forgiven me. Why is this happening? No. He says, don't think it's strange. Because of these fiery trials, this fierce challenge that you are facing. What have I done wrong? You probably did nothing wrong. In fact, it's possible that you have done absolutely nothing wrong and this has happened. He says, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering. You are a partaker with Christ in his sufferings that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and God and of God rest upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. When you are vilified because you are Christ, because you are of Christ, that is because the spirit of Christ, the spirit of his, glo of his glory is resting upon you. It is what they see that is making them to vilify you, that is making them to deal with you the way they are dealing with you. He says, rejoice, be excited that this is what is happening. The Bible records, I think somewhere in, in the book of Acts, how the Sanhedrin grabbed the disciples of Jesus in the initial parts and flogged them because they were told to stop preaching and they continued to preach. They flogged them, they put them in prison and did all kinds of things. When they finished with them, the disciples went away rejoicing that, wow, what a privilege. You mean we actually suffered because of this thing? Glory be to God. They were excited. They were not sad, so saddened by that occurrence. Unfortunately, today, that is not the case. One little thing, and even the preachers themselves tell us that it is because of sin. It is because we have done something wrong. No, yes, there are people who, who, who are suffering because of sin. But here, for a Christian, we're not talking of sin. We are saying he's suffering because of his association with the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 14, in verse um, uh, uh, 15, he goes on to say, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's um, uh, matters. Don't suffer because of these things. That's, that's, not, that's not counted as suffering for the sake of Christ. You are suffering because of, your, of the activities of your flesh, because of your greed, or because of, your, of the iniquity in your heart, which ought to have been purged anyway, if you are indeed born again. In verse 16 it says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Let me skip and, and uh, go down to uh, verse 19. It says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. It can be the will of God for you to suffer. And there, there are things that God puts in place for that to happen. Because as a result of our suffering, God actually builds certain things in us. Let me finish this and then we'll read one or two other scriptures. It says, uh, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Commit your souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. In Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, something is said there and, 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 and it says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, we rejoice in tribulations, knowing that tribulations 
produce perseverance or endurance. It builds in us certain things, a, a quality that God wants to put in us. These things build in us the ability to persevere, the ability to endure hardship, to go through some of the challenges of life. And perseverance, character, what the, the old, old King James calls experience, something that is experiential, something that is experimental, something that we experience, it builds that in us. It builds in us the experience of God, that yes, we know God. And this is expected if indeed you are a child of God. And then character, hope. And in verse 5 it says this hope is not the hope that makes ashamed because God has put in us his love. So we know that God loves us. And what we are going through cannot be because God hates us. It is because God loves us. And whatever it is that we are going through is because God wants to build us up. God wants to strengthen us. God does not have spoiled children. He has children who have been disciplined, children who understand what, what life is about. Children who go through the challenges of life and survive. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 4. Galatians chapter 3, verse 4. Paul was writing to Galatians and he was, of course, chiding them because they were going, they were following a wrong doctrine. And in verse 4, he said, Have you suffered so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, have you suffered so many things? And because a Christian, if you are a Christian, it is not strange that you are suffering. It cannot be strange. It's not strange to God. It should not be strange to you. If anybody finds it strange that you are suffering, it cannot be a Christian. It just cannot be. It is expected that if you are a child of God, you will go through certain things because of your identity in Christ, because of your identity with Christ. Let me read Hebrews chapter 10, 32 to 39. Hebrews chapter 10 from 32 through to 39. It says, but recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, after you became born again, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. It's talking to these people. After they became born again, they went through sufferings, great uh, sufferings, great challenges. In verse 33 says, partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. There were those that were direct, there were those that were indirect, there were those that were individual, there were those that were corporate. So they were reproached. They suffered tribulation, maybe it's loss of property, maybe they came and, uh, you know, cutted away their goods because they were Christians, or took over their properties because they were Christians, and so on and so forth. And sometimes they gathered all the Christians together in those days and began to uh, punish them corporately. And so he was saying, those, don't forget those times when you went through this and you, you were treated badly and wrongly along with other people. In verse 34, it says, for you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. They were not excited about what they possessed on the earth. In fact, those things were subject to um, dispossession by the authorities of the day. Even today here, the authorities, they can take anything, they can seize anything from you because you're a Christian. That should not be, that should not be cause or source for you to be angry or, or upset about, about what is happening. It says, no, be re rejoice because that is part of it. It is, it is expected. In verse 35, it says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Your faith has great reward, for you have need of endurance, 
so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Again, we encounter that word endurance. This word goes along with suffering. Anybody who is going through a time of suffering and cannot endure, this is where the problem is. That is why we read Romans uh, 5, uh, in, we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, that God allows us to go through certain tribulations to build in us endurance because he knows that in the world we are going to face many challenges. So he begins to build us up and prepare us for those times so that we can endure. In verse 37, it says, For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Very soon, Jesus is going to come. Some people say, oh, you've been saying it for so long. Don't worry. Your salvation draws nearer now than when you first believed. If he doesn't come in our lifetime, he will come eventually. And anyway, when we leave this world, he would have come for us at any point in time. Because if the Lord Jesus Christ does not come for you and I, when we are leaving this world, we are finished. That is the simple truth. In verse 38, it says, now the just shall live by faith. You are saved by faith. Now you must live by faith. But if anyone draws back, that is, if people are no longer living by faith, they want to live by self-help. They want to live by self-righteousness and so on and so forth. He says, my soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. We do not backslide because of the challenges of life. We endure, we stick in there, and we hold on. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 10, Proverbs 24, verse 10, the Bible says, if in the day of adversity, you, uh, what's the word now? You, you faint, that's it. If in the days of adversity, you faint, your strength is small or your faith is small. One translation, I think is the message. It says, if you suffer, if you, if you, if you faint or fall in the days of adversity, then there really wasn't anything to you in the first place. So God does not want you to fail or faint in the day of adversity. He wants you to stand. He wants you to endure. So one of the crucial um, dispositions of the Christian when, when it comes to suffering is, is the matter of being able to endure suffering and not to capitulate under the intense pressure of suffering. We are to enjoy it. We are to stand under pressure. We are not to capitulate to it so that when when we are facing our challenges, the challenges of life, we, st we stand there. We stand there. So why do we suffer? Let's, let's try and address that. Why, why, why should a Christian suffer? Why does a Christian suffer? We had, had mentioned a little bit when I mentioned uh, Romans chapter 5, 3 to 4. God wants to build in us endurance. But let's look at some more uh, uh, serious issues here now. In John chapter 15, in John chapter 15, the Lord Jesus made it absolutely clear why we will face the, the why, why Christians suffer. Uh, John 15, 18 to 21. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember, the world, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. So why do, why, why do Christians suffer? Because they have the identity of Christ. The world hated Christ when he came. 
the world will therefore hate all that belong to Christ. Satan is, of course, he, he hates anything that is God's. So he will hate us because of that. So because of Christ, we suffer. Because we are in the world, but not of the world, we will suffer. So it is expected. Don't think it is strange when you are going through the challenges of life. All that you need to ascertain is, I hope this is not because I did something wrong. I hope it's not because I, I, suffer, I, I, I have on, on confessing in my life. As long as you have cleared the air, there's nothing wrong with going through uh, a time of suffering. In Matthew chapter 13, Matthew chapter 13, verse 20 and 21. Matthew 13, verse 20 and 21. When the Lord Jesus was explaining the parable of the sower, he made mention of a soil, the soil, the, 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 the stony soil, and the, the seed or the word of God that was planted therein. And here is referring to the nature of a man who is shallow. In, in, in verse 20, it says, uh, Matthew 13, 20 to 21 says, But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. He was excited when he heard the word of God. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. If we did not hear the word of God, we probably would not go through what we are going through today. But we have heard the word of God. The word of God has come. And now the, the, the word that has come is because of that word, we are facing certain challenges in life. And those challenges are there to now build in us endurance and put in us a situation in which we will overcome no matter what it is that is meted to us. And then we, at the end of the day, we, 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 we can stand as children of the living God. Because of the word of God, we suffer. You have gone to church, you have heard some sermons that speak about how Christians are to behave under certain circumstances, and then you get home or you get outside the church, and that provocation comes. And now you have to persevere, you have to endure, you have to keep quiet, you have to keep calm. Somebody has come to take what is yours. And as you are, as you are trying to struggle, the Spirit of God says to you, remember what was said to you. If they take one, 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 one coat of yours, give them also, if they take the inner coat, give them also the outer garment. If they slap you on the right cheek, turn the left cheek onto, also onto you. These are things, and then you, you have to now begin to live the word. So the word of God has come to challenge you to live for it. And then you now begin to wonder what is going on. In Psalm 105, Psalm 105, speaking about Joseph in verse 19, he says, until the time that his word came to pass, that is the dreams that God had given to him, which he had spoken about. He says, until the time his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The word of the Lord comes to test us, to prove us that we will live as God wants us to live. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 to 3, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 to 3, the Bible says concerning Israel, he said, you went through the, the wilderness and, and went in there for, uh, uh, for, for 40 years. You went through different challenges and suffering. Why? He said, because God wanted to prove what was in you. Let me read it. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. He says, and you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you allowed you to hunger 
and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. God allowed these hungerings, these desires to come into them. And then he withdrew the, 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 the issue from them. He wanted to test what kind of people are these. Will they do what I say they should do? Or because of food, they will, they will, they will, they will capitulate and then go ahead and do what is wrong? So I want them to know. God wants you and I to know that we live by his word and his word alone, not by the words of men. Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 6 through to verse 12. And we know Job, Job epitomizes suffering in, in, in a Christian. He says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where do you come? Where from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? Note what God is saying about Job here. Satan came to parade and to say, Look, I've been I've been tempting people up and down. They are just falling left, right, and center. And God says, Ah, I see. Have you have you tried Job? You, you can see Job is blameless, he's upright, he shuns evil. He fears God. Have you tried? Look at what Satan said in verse 10. In verse 9, it says, So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his, his household, and around all he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his, and his, his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely, he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your, in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And we know the rest. He went and put Job through the most extreme challenge of life. But Job maintained his integrity and did not curse God. The question is, when Satan comes to prove you, will you capitulate? Because that's another reason why we suffer. God, God is showing us off. I say, look at my son. Just look at my son. He's going to, there's nothing you can, you can put at that fellow. He will stand and say, and says, uh, it's because you're protecting them. If you allow me to touch them, you will see what will happen. And we are beginning to see some of those things. We are beginning to see the fault lines in, in some Christians because they have not been built to, to, to withstand it. They've, they've not been told the truth about suffering, about the gospel itself and the suffering of the Christian. They have not been challenged to, 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 to remain where God wants them to be when they face challenges. We face challenges and quickly we are on social media vomiting vectives to, on all and sundry. The, the, the character or the conduct of a Christian is no longer existing because we are facing certain challenges. Even death, we begin to make so much noise and begin to say all kinds of things even against God. The Bible says that the name of the Lord is blasphemed because of our attitude, because of the way we are behaving. In Matthew 26, Matthew chapter 26, because somebody might say, ah, that doesn't, that doesn't happen that way. Matthew chapter 26, um, reading from, well, let, let, let me read Luke 21 first, because uh, it's, it's still repeated. Luke 22, Luke chapter 22, and I'm going to read from verse 31 to 34. Luke 22, from verse 31 to 34. And the Lord said, 
Simon, Simon, speaking to Simon Peter, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you, both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me, before you will deny three times that you know me. The Lord was telling Simon Peter, Satan has obtained permission to sift you. I am sure that in heaven, they've been speaking about Peter and the role, the signal role he was going to play in the body of Christ. And Satan said, let me prove to you that this fellow is just doing unnecessary gragra. By the time he sees the real challenges, he will flee. And the Lord Jesus told him, you will actually flee. But I have prayed for you. Glory be to God. Thank God for his intercessory role while in heaven today. Because many of us would have been cast off because many of us have actually denied him worse than how Peter denied him. Let's look at the, 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 the counterpart uh, uh, part of it in, in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 from verse 21. The, the Bible says, uh, sorry, from verse 31, 31 to 35. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Again, because of Christ is why they are going to stumble. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. He was so sure that he, he loved God. He, he, there was no question about it and that he was not going to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. But let's go further in verse 55. When this thing happened in verse 55, the Bible says, In that hour, Jesus said to the multitude who had come to arrest him, Have you come? Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. These things that has hap that's happening right now, Jesus told them, is because of fulfillment of, 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 of prophecy, that he will suffer. So it is expected. He was expecting it. We also should expect it. If the Son of God went through suffering, we also should. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. They scattered. They all fled. From verse 57 now. He says, and those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Peter. Thank God for his uh, uh, human courage. He, he still went, but he kept a distance. You know, the way many of us behave with our Christianity, our Christianity is at a distance. We don't want people to know that we are Christ because we don't want to, we don't want them to be offended. You know, so we keep a distance. We keep Christ at a distance. When they are making jokes and cracking fun and even insulting the Lord Jesus Christ, we just keep mute there. We're just looking at them. So this one, they don't even know that I'm a Christian. 
and you know, and, and you can you actually give testimony? They didn't know I was a Christian. I was just watching them, and they didn't. But you, that what you are doing is you are following at a distance. And many of us don't know that that's what we are doing. And why? Because we don't want to suffer. We'll see in verse sixty-nine now, sixty-nine to seventy-five. What happened to Peter when he was following at a distance and sitting at the courtyard? He wasn't in the forefront. He was just somewhere. Yet it came to meet him there. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came to him saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. I don't know what you are saying. 71. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl, now you see he was in the courtyard, that is, is, is going back, back again, going to, going to the gateway. Another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath. I do not know the man. What does it? He swore. I swear, I don't know this man with an oath. This is Peter, who was a, a while back telling the Lord, even if I have to die with you, I will go with you. Many of us have made this confession several times. If I'm going to die with you, I will die with you. I will, I'm ready to die for Jesus. Then we are confronted with it and we begin to swear and begin to make all kinds of things and begin to deny him. We begin to say that we don't know him. In verse, 73, in verse 73, and a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. He just went, on, what are you saying? I don't know him. I'm not a Christian. I have nothing to do with Christianity. Look, let me let me tell you something. I never knew this man. I don't even know what he's like. I don't know anything about him. If you open the Bible to me, I would not know it. I don't know what the Bible is. In fact, I only hear it. Saying all kinds of things. Many of us do that. The Bible says immediately, a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept Peter. He was convicted that he had betrayed his Lord. He had, he had denied rather his Lord. He was in grief. But thank God that the Lord had assured him that he would be restored. And he was restored. So don't think that you are immune from suffering. By the grace of God, next week we'll see more on that. At the next broadcast, we'll see more on that. We are not immune from suffering. It happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. It happened to the disciples of old. It will happen to you also. In fact, it is happening to you, right? I made bold to say to you that if you are not going through any challenge of life because you are a Christian, you are not a Christian. If you are suffering only because you have done something wrong, not because you are a Christian, upright, blameless, astute before God, then it's likely you are not a Christian. So why are we teaching about suffering? Especially when it does not keep people in the church. I, I want you to understand one thing. Christianity is not about the number of people in a building called church. No, it's not about that. Christianity is about being identified with Christ, being identified with, with the sufferings of Jesus Christ, with the death of Jesus Christ, with the burial of Jesus Christ, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it clear that we, when, when Christ died, we died with him. We were buried with him in baptism. And that when we were raised up, we were raised up to a newness of life. Water baptism or Christian baptism, what we call water baptism, is a physical demonstration of that spiritual truth. As we are put into the water, it is we are talking of our suffering, our death, and burial with Christ. And as we rise up, as we are brought out of the water, we are being raised up to a newness of life, to a new beginning, to a new life. It's something that we have, we, we do, we've been doing, but now it is being demonstrated physically. 
So Christianity has nothing to do with how many people are gathered in a church building. It is about how many people are identified with Christ, even in suffering, in death. That is what Christianity is about. So we must teach the truth, the whole truth about the gospel, that suffering is a part of the, 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 the gospel because it will surely happen to you if you are a Christian. Indeed, if being a Christian is not costing you anything, your Christianity is fake and false. Christianity has a price tag. It is true that Christ, even, even the Christianity we enjoy, Christ paid the price. Suffering with shame, with being beaten, with death, his blood was shed. That's the Christianity that we enjoy today. So we must be made aware of the consequences of following and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be made aware. We cannot be walking as if we don't know anything. We must be made aware. In Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, I read from verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. People were thronging him. They were following him. And then he stopped and turned. said, look, look at the multitude that's following me. Because they were looking at a cheap gospel. And he said to them, I want you to understand something. It's not just following me. It is being able to live for me. So if any one of you does not hate his father, his mother, his spouse, his children, yes, even his own soul, he cannot be my disciple. What is he saying there? Let me explain it a little. Let, let's see how the Bible explains it in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. Matthew chapter 10, verse 37. The same thing is said, but it, it gives it a different uh, coloration. It says in verse 37, it says, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So what is this saying here? Your devotion to Christ must exceed your devotion to family, including to yourself. You cannot give up your devotion to Christ because of family. If you do, he says you're not his disciple. You're not a Christian. You're not worthy of him. That's what he's saying. So he turned and looked at the crowd that came. As many people are thronging even to our churches, he's saying, tell them that if they cannot give up family, even their own lives for me, they're not worthy of me. They're not my disciples. They're, they're just following me. They are not, they, they don't have my identification with them because they are not ready to suffer for me. And these are just minor, minor things. Look at verse 27. It says, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What does it mean to bear your cross? The cross is the place where sin is killed. So you must deny sin. You must repudiate sin from your life. The cross in those days, when you, when you were to, if you were to see somebody carrying a cross as he's walking on the streets, you are seeing somebody going to his execution because that's how it was. The, the cross was a, 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 a Roman form of the, the strictest of punishments. It was like a, a form of execution, of death execution. So whenever you saw, the, and you had to carry the cross yourself. So what the Lord Jesus said, go and sign your death warrant. Go and agree with the authorities that they can kill you. Because in fact, I'm told that even today, death warrant, when, when a person is condemned to death and they put him in prison, the first thing they're asking to do is to sign that the state can execute him and he has to sign it. So that's what the Lord just said. Go and sign that you can be killed. But we don't have that today. Many people come into Christianity because they were told that 
you will become successful. You'll become great. You'll be excited. You'll be enjoying. That's why we have entertainment in the churches. That's why we have all kinds of things, concerts and so on and so forth. And everybody's excited and going on and on. And every, any little pinch, we begin to shout. We begin to bring that, including those who should know. Bishops, pastors, senior pastors, apostles, general overseers are screaming and shouting when suffering comes. Because nobody taught them or they didn't believe the word of God. But this is what the word of God says. Let me continue to read. In verse 28, it says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? How many of us have sat down to count the cost of Christianity? Have you sat down to count what it is costing you to be a Christian? Have you actually sat down to do that evaluation? It says, lest after he had laid the foundation, after he's born again and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. You have to sit down and count the cost. Christianity has suffering. Stop going on with this uh, fad of, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm born again, I'm this. And a simple covering of the head that the Bible talks about for women is a problem. A simple humility, removing those bling-blings is a problem. Simply just living away from the world is a problem. And we say we want to be Christians, go and count the cost. This is what the Lord is saying to us today. Count the cost. Christianity must cost you something. It, it will cost you more than just going to church two or three times a week. It will cost you more than repudiating your sin. It will cost you the sufferings in your body. It will cost you the loss of property. It will call you, cost you the loss of privileges. It will cost you the loss of relationships. It will cost you the loss of your job. It will cost you your life itself. Because if you're not ready to die, then you're not ready for Christ. Let me continue to read. It says, in verse 31, it says, Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace so likewise whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple what is it going to cost you to be a Christian all everything every facet of your life if you have not counted the cost, I want you to know you better count the cost now. It cost Peter dearly because when he realized his error, he wept. He was not willing to die for the Lord. Are you willing to die for the Lord? Are you willing to carry your cross, your cross and pay the price? Are you willing to forgo everything for the sake of Christ? That is Christian suffering. That is what it means to be a Christian. And that is why suffering is a part of the gospel. Sadly, the gospel that is being peddled, being sold, because that is what it is today, is some cheap run-of-the-mill gospel that does not prepare you for persecution, for trial, for tribulation, for challenges, for affliction, for pain, and so on and so forth. And so, so many people just want a Christianity that is of pleasure. And yet, Christianity has a price tag. Let, let me conclude by reading Hebrews chapter 11. And I'm going to read from verse 24 to 27. The example of Moses. The Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he came to age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He could have been a man of privilege by saying, yes, I'm Pharaoh's daughter. And I enjoyed all the perks of being a prince 
in Egypt. But he refused. The Bible says he refused. It was a voluntary course. He refused in verse 25, choosing rather or preferring to suffer affliction with the people of God that, than to enjoy the passing of fleeting pleasures of sin. He made a choice. I would rather suffer than go for the pleasures of sin. Not so today. Even preachers are telling us to enjoy sin rather than suffer for Christ. I remember when I wasn't a Christian, much younger fellow then in, in, in university, we had some people who they, who they called SUs. They were derided by us because you could tell, you could identify them easily by what they put on. Their trousers were short. The socks never covered the, 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 the whole of the leg. They, they are, their dressing was tacky. There was nothing fashionable about their dressing. Both the men and the women, nobody went near them. They were called SU. They were just packed aside. Today we want to be, we want to be known in the world. None of us is standing for Christ because we don't want to suffer. We even sing songs, me and no go suffer and no go beg for bread. It is true that we don't need to beg for bread. That's true. But suffering is a part of the gospel. Look at verse 26. It says, esteeming the reproach of Christ. He esteemed, he placed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he, he, he looked to the, to, to the reward. He esteemed suffering for Christ greater than all the pleasures in Egypt. In verse 27, it says, by faith, he forsook Egypt, abandoned Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. I ask you, what have you forsaken for the sake of Christ? Are you still living a life of sin? And you say that you're a Christian. Let me tell you the truth. If you are not ready to suffer for Christ, even what we had told you concerning adoption and sonship, you will soon discover that is not going to help you. Because the Bible makes it absolutely clear that the, 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 the inheritance, the, the joy of being a son of God comes also with suffering. If indeed we suffer with him, it is time for us to count the cost and ask ourselves, what is it costing me to be a Christian? Is it the pleasure? These things that we do in these buildings we call church, that is just there for, for our self-aggrandizement, for our pleasures, that makes us excited every Sunday. We go there, we jump up, we shout, we scream, we do what we call celebrations and so on and so forth. And then the slightest pain, we're on social media. and That is not Christianity. That is not the gospel. The truth about the gospel is that suffering is a concomitant part of being a Christian. Deprivation, loss of property, loss of friendship, loss of relationship, physical bodily harm, even death is a part of it. I can only pray for myself and pray also for you that the day of your testing when it comes, that God will grant you the grace and the fortitude to go through with it and enjoy it as a true child of God. And until we uh, uh, meet again, that will be the first Wednesday in December, um, I want to challenge you. Hold on to your confession of Christ. Make yourself fortified and ready for what the challenges of life are throwing at you. Remember that it is not because of you that you are facing these challenges. It is because you bear the name of Christ. Bear the name of Christ with boldness. Bear the name of Christ with godly pride. Bear the name of Christ. Lift up your head and say, come what may. Lord, help me. Give me the grace to, to endure. At the end of it all, I pray that when Christ shall return, he will, he will be glorified along with you. God bless you and goodbye.